Hello and welcome to the Class Futures podcast. Um, in this episode, I've spoken to Gunda Tyre, who's Head of International Assessments for the Education and Youth Board in Estonia. Estonia is a tiny country, 1.3 million people, and it has a very innovative model for its education. And I was really keen to speak to Gunda. Uh, she was, she's been featured recently, or the Estonia educational model has been featured recently in the Times educational um, reports and I was keen to catch up with her. I hope you enjoy. Great to speak to you and have you on the Class Futures podcast. Um, we're speaking to Gunda Tyre who's from the Education and Youth Board in Estonia. Estonia is a very small country isn't it? 1.3 million people. Um, right. Could you tell um, the listeners bit more about your role and um, what you're kind of responsible for there please Gunda. Um, Thank you very much Jonathan for inviting me and um, um, yes I am from Estonia which is a small country but it has become very popular because of its educational achievements in the PISA survey and uh, my role is um, um, that I am the the project manager national project manager for PISA uh, and also for TALIS and uh, and so I am organizing uh, um, the PISA assessment. Uh, I have to prepare it and I have to um, make sure the schools administer it. And so we have um, successful data collection. And uh, afterwards, because Estonia has been so successful, um, there are a lot of questions. And so I've been talking a lot to many people and writing articles and trying to trying to understand what is behind uh, the success. And that's my role. Fantastic. And for those who may not have heard of PISA, how would you describe PISA? Well, PISA is like Olympic Games in education. In other words, uh, there are about 80 countries or more um, where students at the age of 15, they take the same test in math, reading and science. The tests are adapted uh, for each country and they are in the language of instruction of the students. Uh, And and so it takes place every three years and... uh, and we also collect a lot of background information from the students so we understand what is uh, the family, what the school environment and so on. And so we can kind of put together a nice education picture, um, you know, that the per- student performance, plus we can understand uh, where the student comes from or where where he or she uh, uh, goes to school. And so it's kind of a, PISA is kind of a, uh, you know, taking a picture uh, of the education situation. It doesn't explain saying why it is that way. So the countries have to figure out themselves why the situation in their particular country is the same, but all the students in the world are sort of taking the same test. Mm, fantastic, giving us that overview. Um, so before we normally on, on the podcast, we start with a bit of a, a quick fire really to find out a bit more about your education background and your experiences and some stories. What was your favorite subject at school, Gunda? I think my favorite subject was English. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I grew up in the Soviet Union and uh, it was still the Soviet Union time and English was a language uh, which was spoken by very few. But uh, but uh, my family encouraged me to study more of it. And I had a, a, a teacher uh, with whom I, 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 um, I, I we spoke. We spoke in English. We learned we read, read books. And, and so I was pretty good at the time I finished high school. So that was my favorite subject. Excellent. Well, your English is, is incredible. Um, but did you have a standout teacher when you were? doing your, your um, well it's um, 
uh, yes, um, because I said I had a tutor teacher and um, mm. uh, she was a, a very, very intelligent lady who had gone through Siberia and the Stalin's gla uh, gulag camps and so on. And so when she came back, I, I was I grew up in Latvia. And so when she came back to Latvia after Stalin's camps, she couldn't find a job. And because uh, because uh, I lived in a small town and my father was a school director, so uh, he took her as an English teacher. And so after that, she became my English teacher. And uh, and and uh, because she had she has uh, she was very very intelligent and um, um, I mean we had a very good contact and and that's why I. Um, mm. I can say thank you. She was an outstanding teacher. She's now she has passed away for some years now, mm. but uh, but I really would be able would would want to pay a tribute to her with mm. uh, many of the achievements of my life. Well, that's really nice. Um, and currently, last book you read? It can be an educational book. Uh, or it can be non-educational. It is non-educational. The last book I really read is Bulgakov's Master, Master and Margarita because I decided that I have to brush up my Russian and it's kind of a very strange book, but I did it in Russian and I'm very proud of it. It's probably, <laughs> I have read very few books in Russian, but but that was uh, just was a goal to to um, to, to um, brush up my, my Russian. Fantastic. Because when, when I do my job, we have schools in Estonia, in Estonian and in Russian. Mm. And, and so... Um, it is very helpful. Well, the language of the country is Estonian, but uh, but it's very helpful if you can communicate sometimes. And I have to go through all the tests also, and you know, and see if things in Russian are properly done. And mm. and so, it's good to know both of these languages. And so that was my my New Year's resolution to brush up my own Russian. Well, well done for doing <laughs> starting a resolution <laughs> already. Um, tell me a bit about the, the pupil experience in Estonia. Um, what does what does that experience look like for a pupil in Estonia? What do you mean? In terms of um, when they start their school and when they go through and how what sort of subjects they take and or can choose. Um, how do you describe right. that kind of experience for them? The experience, um, well, everybody has their own experience, but if I would compare English children and Estonian children, then mm. Estonian children have a longer childhood. That means they go to school only at the age of seven. Mm. So if in England you go to school at the age of five, um, then then we consider that that's a bit too early. But it, it doesn't mean that the children don't do any learning. They go to kindergarten and uh, the preschool um, uh, educational establishments, and they have uh, um, uh, they have the curriculum and they they study. So they basically do the same thing, just that it's in it's not at school. It's in a more relaxing atmosphere. And they um, um, they also have to sleep, they have to nap, they have to go outside. So they basically are the whole day in a kindergarten. Um, and, and so um, they finish it or they start school only at the age of seven. And then once they go to school, we have this comprehensive school system, which means that up until the age of uh, the first nine years, everybody studies together um, in more or less the same environment, more or less the same subjects. But the schools uh, are different and the schools can uh, decide what sort of subjects they study more. Is it more languages, more math or, or whatever, maybe art. So um, the schools have a lot of freedom and that's one of the 
um, the autonomous uh, approach uh, of the system that um, there are general guidelines, but but the schools can uh, sort of uh, um, decide on themselves. And so basically the first uh, the first uh, streaming takes place when the kids are 15, 16 after PISA age, and then they go either to upper secondary or vocational schools. Mm. And then they can choose again what subjects they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, they, they choose, uh, um, well, if, if they go to vocational schools, they sort of choose the, the topic that or the area which they want to study, you know, mm. master, whatever it is, there are so many of them. But the academic um, uh, academic stream is the, um, the upper secondary school. Um, and um, they do have more subjects. Uh, it's not in, in England, and I know that you have... The, the, they're very specific and, and uh, few subjects and then the kids go really deep into those. Mm. So we have more of the general approach that uh, um, they can specialize, but they still have to take quite a bit of, you know, they have to take art and physical education and things like that. So to, mm. <laughs> to yeah. balance out the, the academic stuff. So with the, with the longer childhood there in uh, Estonia, um, are there any other differences between with other educational systems that Estonia has, do you think? Um, well, um, uh, this, uh, yeah, the late school starts, but uh, um, it, it is very difficult to note every system has something, but to what mm. degree, for example, if there is this uh, mm. equity matter or, or I mean, uh, sort of on the big lines, everybody gets the same. Um, well, we let our children through the school, but uh, um, but um, it's it's kind of difficult to say um, what are the differences. I mean, we give our children free school lunch, uh, mm. and we think that children should have a proper lunch, not a sandwich for 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 lunch, and we think that small children should have a nap at school at you know when they are small, but not when they go to school. Mm. We don't stress that that much importance on school uniforms, for example there would be very few schools that have uniforms so it's kind of in a you know i mean uh, when i went to england and saw all the small children in proper you know blazers and and mm. all that it looked very cute but it's something we are not used to here and mm. so mm. the parents don't have to spend money on on things like that so mm. um uh and uh, and and so um Yes, uh, if look at when, when we compare the different aspects, we always look at teacher education, we look at, you know, the school autonomy, the equity mm -hmm. factors, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, as you know, there are so many pieces of the big education puzzle that we have to put together in order to make this picture and see what works and it doesn't that uh, it's very difficult to pick out one and say, well, this is why it is the way it is. Mm. Um, and there are always all these cultural backgrounds, which, I mean, the traditions, and you have to consider those. You can't just say, oh, they have a good system. I want that system. It won't work. Mm. So you can't copy from any country. You can just, uh, you can adjust, adjust and accept what is right for you. Yes, I agree. And it sounds like you've got some subtle differences that kind of fit into that, sort of the, the, the cultural setup, if you like, whether that's... Um, around school, school uniforms or a later school day or a school lunch is it all those subtle differences all play into that um those differences i think and experiences um what about the digital sides within the within schools how is that currently 
and uh, mm. well this is um with the pandemic especially mm. all the countries in the world uh, had to face and see how how well they are prepared and estonians want to think that we actually were prepared for it uh, and it's uh, it's it's because we have quite a bit of a history um that already in 1990s uh we had a government uh, you know initiative to digitalize all schools so basically uh, for more than 20 years, we have had all schools with the internet. Um, we have had uh, uh, this internet or digital education uh, written down in the strategy of the country's education. So, and if you have a strategy, you always get some funding. We have got some EU funding for supporting, you know, the digital learning materials, digital tests uh, and things like that. So it's, it's a whole infrastructure. It's not just like take computers and do something. And, mm -hmm. and because we have been sort of persistently going towards that, we didn't know there was a pandemic coming, but um, mm -hmm. it had been, you know, investing in teacher training. And, and I'm not saying that it was all very good. I mean, once they had to go overnight over to the digital, you know, online learning, there was a, a big learning gap to do right away. And there was a lot of confusion, but, uh, but we kind of um, could make these uh, steps um, um, in a more consistent way. So, um, so yes, this, uh, and it's, it's a big priority at the moment and there is a lot and maybe even, I don't know if too much of, of everything digital, but, but yes, the schools are, uh, are being uh, helped with, um, I mean, each school has a, an, uh, um, how do you call it? A person who is responsible for this digital, uh, we call it educational technologist who, who, who supports all of these systems, uh, and uh, and many schools have you know programming and you, and they they teach the children, but um, but uh, what the education uh, policies were done like or um, more than ten years ago, um, they they decided that ICT is not a subject to be taught, ICT is a skill which should be incorporated in all the subjects. So whatever subject is, you can do something on the computer, and and so with that approach, um, maybe it was. Uh, it was better to disseminate these uh, these ideas, uh, not just that you have you know you have an ICT class. Everybody comes together, do, does something, and then you go away. But uh, but it's uh, it's it's something that should be incorporated everywhere. And uh, mm. and yes, and um, um, now we're very much working on all kinds of digital tests and diagnostic tests because we think there is a lot of learning, a big learning gap that. Uh, was created by the pandemic and so in order to detect how, what the students know and what they don't know these um let's say these diagnostic tests in the in different subjects would be a good tool and uh, uh and so we're working on those and we have you know different uh, tests at the different stages just to um with a prime idea to help the teachers to uh, to understand what the students know and to improve the teaching mm. Fantastic. Um, some really good in, insights of thoughts around, um, you know, what you've just said there. And I like this idea specifically around having educational technologists who support th that role or those systems within a school. Um, in the UK, we have schools are all different in terms of their provision. Um, I think having that infrastructure and a, a someone who's responsible for that is, is really important. Um so, you know, obviously we, we tend to end with a big question on, on the Class Features podcast. Um, it's very open. I'll give this a mark out of 10 or mark, mark them all at the end. 
Um, but it's just a bit of fun, really. I mean, what what's the future of education for you or what would the future of education look like to you, do you think? Well, um, the Estonian, Estonians almost have like an official version of this for this question because they have... Um, um, they have adopted a strategy for 2035, uh, mm. where they have sort of marked out what what should be the future of education, and it very much goes towards this individualized learning, uh, not having the mass production of everybody, you know, doing the same thing, but sort of everybody has this um, personal um, learning path, and um, mm. and we have started to work on that at the government level, and there are some people thinking how to do it. It's a very complex project, and. Uh, and I don't have the answer if that's a good or bad idea, um, but uh, in overall, we each as an individual, I mean, it's good to have individualized medicine because we each have a different need and different health condition. So also the same thing for the education. If we develop the idea that uh, uh, if I have, I'm better at this or that, then I, I pursue it. So everything what I do counts and I can have this, you know, with the help of digital technology, I can, uh, I can collect sort of like a portfolio of all the activities that I have had. And um, I do online learning, I, I do uh, offline and uh, um, uh, in person and all kinds of things. So everything comes together and it sort of um, creates this educational baggage that I have. And, uh, mm. and uh, yes, but I think what is also important is in all of these technologies is to, um, to remember the human factor to remember that with the te te technology, especially for young children, the brain gets very, you know, distracted because there are so many pieces. You come from here and there, and so the brain needs peace, and then, you know, also mm. to 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 get all of this. So I think the future is 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 trying to find this fine balance between uh, between what is good for us as human beings, what keep what makes us stay as human beings, uh, our values, and and what we you know, cherish and, and uh, I mean, the computers can do everything for us, but but they're definitely a great tool. So if we can sort of balance them together and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, as in yoga, you can do the positions only if you if you're balanced and if you're concentrated. So mm. the moment you're, <laughs> you're, you're not uh, uh, concentrating, you you lose it, you, you lose the balance. So and I think that is that is also the goal for for us in every in anything uh, mm. we do and also for education mm. that's really interesting i really like that analogy with yoga and the balance i think yeah there's lots of my yoga teacher said one moment last week i couldn't i couldn't concentrate and he said everything is in your head why is that one day earlier i could and the next day i can't so it is in your mind and so mm. if we put our mind straight uh, and we you know balance our our priorities it's uh, we should get in the balance or you know <laughs> yeah and I think that touches on other things such as well-being and, and sort of the mental side of the digital learning there's lots of talk around their tech and the benefits of it but ultimately it's it's about the people and their well-being and um understanding that and I think that touching upon the yoga and the balance is is, is a really nice neat point uh, I really like that answer Gunda um it's been great to have you on the on the show there's there's lots here that's that's going to be more more food for thought, more ideas to talk about. And I'm sure we'll hopefully speak again on, on the podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you very much. It was great talking to you.
In my conversation with Gunda Tai, who heads up international assessments for the country, I think there were six key key thoughts I wanted to provide in this analysis. And thanks for tuning into this part of the, the of the podcast. I think the first point she talks about having a country strategy and the importance of having a strategy for the country where all schools are part of that and infrastructure is is part of um, a, a broader strategy for a country as it moves toward move towards more of a digital learning um, model. I think the second point she talked around, um, you know, this exciting idea of each school having a designated person who's responsible for ed tech. Um, each school has an educational technologist who is um, purely focused on supporting the systems that are in place for that school and reporting back and sharing ideas. And that can only lead to um, good practice um, and efficiencies. So I think having this idea of having a person responsibility where someone is responsible for education technology is really important. It might be a, a group of people, but I think having that role and recognizing that role and providing the skills for that is really important as we move towards more, more of a digital system of delivering education. Thirdly, ICT in the country, or IT, or technology, however you want to call it, computing is seen as a skill, and it's a skill that all pupils should develop. It's not seen as a subject on its own. It's not seen as um, something that's isolated. It's, it's incorporated into the broader part of the schools, the school's curriculum, and as part of the, the pupil's own learning journey. So ICT is seen, seen as a skill and developing that skill. And just as writing is, is a skill, so, so should be typing or program, programming becoming, becoming a skill uh, for a school um, and education. Fourthly, um, the country seems to be using digital really well and in exciting ways to, to fill what they call the learning gap and technology can have real advantages in that in um, creating personalized learning plans for pupils to help them catch up and to, to finish uh, what they need to study and to understand where their gaps might, might be and obviously to, to fill that. Um, so that's a really exciting um, development and, and how they are taking technology forward to, to overcome that, that gap in someone's learning. I think, fifthly, what caught me in the, my conversation with, with Gunda was um, they have a strategy that's aimed towards 2035 that they're working towards, whereby there will be um, indiv individualised learning for, for, for pupils and this idea of, of moving away from mass production, if you like, a mass curriculum, a, a mass syllabus, um, and giving pupils the ability to access individualised or personalised learning that that is geared towards their their different ways of learning or the different um, interests that they want want to pursue or, or weaknesses or strengths in their in their in their learning. So this idea of having an individualised learning path rather than a mass production and, and following a broad curriculum. Um, which is very personalised. However, it comes with challenges. It's very, very complex. And you think of you know, the challenges of managing that for different different pupils and the different paths that they, they are on, albeit they're all going to the same point, but perhaps doing that at, at different different paces to, 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 the, to, their, to, their, to their friends or colleagues. Um, and this idea of 
building a portfolio, collecting a portfolio, um, combining both on and offline learning, and this idea of finishing school and having a digital portfolio um, that showcases the work and the progress and the learning and the examples that that they've done. I think this idea of having a digital portfolio, I don't know what that would look like or how it would be delivered, but I think that idea of, of having that is, is really exciting. And I think finally, as I come to, to my sixth point and kind of rounding it all up really, is this idea of balance and the importance of balance when we talk about technology or ed tech or um, technology and learning. Balance is really important and the brains are complex and we don't understand probably enough in this this area really of, of ed tech um we can kind of seem to be obsessing around sort of technology but we still don't understand how much screen time or um, computer time is 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 right and how what that looks like within a school environment um so having balance is really important finding the balance um having the right tools in place um, and ultimately thinking about well-being, which is central to, to what we're trying to achieve here, I think, in looking at the future of, of learning. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Gundo and my analysis. And yeah, I'll hopefully hear from you soon. Thank you.